0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soladago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about the herb Lady's Mantle, otherwise known as Alchemia or Alchemilla. Before we get started, I want you to know that I am not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. All right, hey, hey. So today I am very excited to talk to you about Ladies Mantle, which is one of my favorite perennial plants to plant in a decorative garden, in a landscape garden. It has these really beautiful fan like leaves and that are very soft and look good throughout the season. Sometimes you have to cut back like the old, the big leaves after they've kind of gone by, but then there's a nice second set of new leaves that are under the big leaves ready to go. And it has this really kind of lacy, really tiny, delicate yellow flowers that kind of sweep on the ground. It makes a nice edge border plant and it can spread, um, both by root and by seed, depending on the type of lady's mantle that you're growing. Some spread by seed, some don't, and some are larger and some are smaller, but they all pretty much otherwise look the same. And this is an old, uh, European, I think of like an old European or probably Eurasian plant, um, But I really kind of think of it in like medieval medicinal plant gardens of, you know, the UK and Europe. The leaves, the stems, the flowers are all what are used traditionally for medicine. And it is pretty easy to grow, but you don't really see it a lot on the herb marketplace. You know, you don't really see a lot of tinctures or maybe it'll be in some formulas. You don't really see ladies mantle tea out and about, but it, it does have a lot of reach, rich folklore that it is steeped in and hence its name Alchemilla based on alchemy. And it's just a really nice plant to get to know. So I have been kind of drawn to it this summer and was, really wanting to do a little bit more, you know, getting to know the plant on many levels. Um, I kind of feel it's a, it's a definitely a woman's herb in a lot of ways, which we'll get into. And I just feel like as I age, it's going to be more of a plant ally for me. Let's get into some of the history, some of the folklore, and then we'll talk about the constituents and the different uh, body systems that it works with, um, how you can prepare it and how you can work with it. But just to start, it's very easy to grow. All you need is a little garden plot and you can find them at most plant nurseries or even you could probably... Uh, take a cutting or dig up a, not a cutting, but dig up a a spare plant from one of your friend's gardens, because like I said, they do spread over time. And they're pretty low-growing plant. So alchemia or alchemilla, and there's lots of different species, actually. There's like 300 different species of alchemilla. And I would say the more popular ones that are grown and worked with medicinally are the species Mollus, Xanthochlora, which begins with an X, and Vulgaris. Vulgaris, anytime you see the the name Vulgaris as a species name, that means common. So that's usually the most common species or the one that is commonly worked with. It's in the rose family, the rosaceae family, which is a very safe family of plants to work with. So rose, hawthorn, apples, you know, that whole large family of the, I believe they have five petaled flowers. Although the alchemy is so tiny, it'd be hard to just count them all because each flower is super, super tiny. So alchemia, like I was saying, is actually a word that stems from Arabic word that is uh, which means alchemy. And this is you know this is why I like to use you know call instead of calling these Latin names for plants, which I know is what is commonly said. It's really the scientific name or the botanical name of the plant um, because they aren't Latin. Um, Some of them might be based on Latin words, but a lot of them, it's mostly made up words, made up names, and or they could be based on Greek, they could be based on Arabic, so the botanical name, the scientific name, it's not necessarily a Latin name, even though that's what some people call it, but let's start calling it the botanical name or the scientific name. Like I was saying, this was like a common European folk medicine Um, but it is native to Eurasia. And all parts except for the roots of the plant are used, so the leaves, the stems, the flowers. In the Middle Ages, it was said to be a plant that was dedicated to the Virgin Mary. And so in the name Lady's Mantle, it's actually spelled L-A-D-Y apostrophe S instead of Lady's plural. So it's like one lady apostrophe S, and that lady is said to refer to Mary. And the mantle resembles a cloak or a frock that goes around um, either the waist or the shoulders. So, lady's mantle was actually because it was an herb of Mary. Mary and i think because as we will see it's also an herb that was really has a lot of tradition in helping to support women through their various health issues so it's thought this plant is like you'll see a lot of especially in the older herb books you'll see a lot of reference to the drops of dew that accumulate on the tips of the leaves and the center of the leaf, leaving a jewel-like appearance. And this is so beautiful. You definitely see this in the morning. Little drops of, individual drops of water that accumulate over the surface of the leaf and definitely on each little sharp tip that go around the mantle-shaped leaf. And then a nice larger drop of water that is accumulated kind of where the stem meets the leaf and the leaf kind of comes together at the stem. And so this water historically was thought to um, extract subtle quantities of medicinal virtues. And it was used a lot in like mystical potions and thought to have magical properties of transmutation And this is, it was actually thought that it was, could be really useful in the actual alchemical process of, you know, turning non-precious metals into precious metals. It was thought to be that magical. And when you go out in the garden in the morning and you look at the lady's mantle and it's covered with these drops of water And none of the other plants around it have any drops of water on them. So all the other leaves are dry around the lady's mantle. Lady's mantle is covered in this glistening water drops, and even like the old leaves of the lady's mantle are dry, but the new ones, the fresher ones, are all just glistening. So this actually. I mean, sure, sometimes it probably could be dew, which is the air, the water in the air condensing on the leaves because the leaves are, you know, temperature difference from the air to the water. I mean, from the air to the leaf. Like if you have a glass of icy cold water on a hot day, all that condensation settles on it. But what is really happening most often in the case of ladies' mantle is, is that it's actually water from inside the plant that is being pushed out. It's the intracellular fluid that is in the plant, that from excess water in the plant that rises to the surface and is extracted through the pores of the plant. So what we think is dew drops on the lady's mantle coming from the air is actually water that is from within the plant rising out. And this process is called gutation, or I think that's how it's pronounced, but, um, and it releases. so what's happening is this is usually when the soil is really moist. So if it's rained recently, or if it's at a plant, I've seen this actually in plant nurseries and the potted plants, you know, the plants have always been really well watered. And then in the morning when you're going plant shopping, getting ready for a plant planting job, Um, the lady's mantle is just glowing with all these water droplets. So it's when overnight the air is cool and humid and the soil is moist, the pores of the plant, because it's cold, will close to help, you know, retain, I don't know, maybe, I don't know how this scientifically works, but I imagine just like to kind of retain heat. Um, and moisture and then the water pressure builds up and then the pour, inside the plant and in the morning the pores open and release that pressure because the roots will have been drawing up water all night through the, from this wet soil and so i think that and there are other plants that do this but not all plants do this and so this is a very and I, the lady's mantle has kind of fuzzy delicate hairs on the leaves. And so it really helps to hold that water in place. So you can really imagine that, that this water is imbued with definitely like the essence of the plant, the spirit of the plant, a true flower essence or a leaf essence, a plant essence um, but I wonder if it's also imbued with some of the constituents that the plant has, the water based constituents of the plant. I'm not sure if anyone's actually looked at that specifically, but it would make sense as to why it's seen as a very magical plant. So, this herb was uh, used in love spells and sachets, love sachets historically. There was old folklore that uh, if a young girl washes her face with the dew of the lady's mantle each morning, she will grow up to be a beautiful and powerful woman. And if you were to collect this water from the lady's mantle leaf, I'm just going to call it dew, even though we know it's not dew, but that's often how it's referred to. And I think that's kind of a beautiful connotation and word But dawn is the hour that this magical dew is most imbued with its mystery and magic. And so that is the time to collect it or to go out in your garden and pick a leaf and wipe your face with it. And the dewdrops had used to be and maybe still are added to cosmetics for beauty care. So, if you are into making face creams um, or lotions, and those all often contain some sort of water or herbal tea or infusion, you could also put some ladies' mantle leaf water or dewdrops into your cosmetics or into like a face spray toner or something could be cool. And it was thought that the leaves would promote sleep for women who put it under their pillow. There's even Arabian folklore, women's folklore, that the herb restores beauty and youth. And they also say it helps women to conceive. So lots of folklore, lots of magic, lots of women using this as a beauty tonic, a youth tonic, um, and... That magical, those magical dew drops are kind of fun to think about working with. Constituents that this plant contains, chemical constituents, tannins. And so that's one to really consider because that's, you're going to see, we're going to see a lot of medicinal action due to those tannins, which are really provide astringency stringency to plants. And is what, you know, makes that kind of puckering flavor on the mouth, like when you're drinking black tea, like actual tea leaves. It has some bitter constituents, which is probably why you don't see it on the tea shelves. <laughs> um, it has some glycosides, some saponins. Saponins help to kind of break up um, like fatty tissue, like soap would help to break up fat when you're, or oils when you're cleaning pots and pans. Salicylic acid, there is a trace amount, which is a you know anti-inflammatory pain reliever, similar to what's in willow bark. Uh, trace amount of volatile oils. there's really not a lot of scent that this plant gives off. And ladies' mantle is generally thought to be uh, more on the cooling side of herbs herbal energetics and you can see that from the bitters and you can see that from in some other uses that we will see down the line here. Let's talk about the different organs that this plant has an affinity with. So definitely the uterus, huge affinity with the uterus, um, an affinity with the spleen and the kidneys and also the digestive system. It's really kind of seen as a tonic herb for these organs and systems. Some of its properties that it offers is, like I said, it's an astringent. It's a diuretic, which means um, helps to release excess fluid. And as we see, it helps, it works with the kidneys. And so we're going to see diuretic action there. Anti-inflammatory, which we can see from tannins and bitters and salicylic acid. Um, Amenagog, so in working with the uterus. And... So a menagogue is something that helps to, you know, bring on the blood flow from the uterus, bring on a period, a menses, although I will say that a lot of times we see plants that are considered a menagogues will have an action where they tend to be more modulating and not stimulating as far as menses support, um, Vulnerary, so that's healing to wounds and skin. Styptic, which means it can stop bleeding. So here we have an herb that's involved in bleeding in multiple different ways. Febrifuge, so helps to reduce a fever, and that's that cooling action. Probably has something to do also with the tannins and the salicylic acid. With its astringent properties, we can see it really helpful if people have diarrhea, if they have wounds, if they're bleeding, um, if they have mouth sores or mouth ulcers, and it can be used. The tea can be worked with as a mouthwash or the tincture for that case. And then as a gargle for laryngitis or sore throats as well, the tannins can be really helpful there. Now, I would say most of what I see... um, in the literature and what I hear people working with it as is as a cure-all for any manner of female problems. Uh, as Robin Rose Bennett says in one of her books, it's um, an herb to consider for any illness of the womb. And this could include, uh, the womb could include the cervix, the uterus, the ovaries, the Tubes, the vagina, and even um, women's breasts. If people, if women have fibroids, especially ones that cause heavy bleeding or pain, or even uh, women who are dealing with infertility, these can, this is an herb that you could consider working with. And again, it's, it is a very safe herb and it's an herb that you don't have to worry too much about. Am I taking too much? of it you can kind of work with it in a variety of ways so we'll get so we'll get into that in a minute okay so let's get a little bit more detailed into um, how we can work with this herb in which ways that it can support women's health so for menses um, for easing cramps and excessive bleedings Plus, it also can help to bring on a period. So we see this a lot with these herbs um, that help to support menses. It's kind of like all aspects of menses. If you have too heavy bleeding or not enough bleeding or cramping or any kind of aspect of that, it, a lot of these herbs that help with menses kind of help with all aspects or all issues of menses, which I just really love. Um, that ability, just really support and tonify the system, and if we think about this, we think of excessive bleeding and then short bleeding and not enough bleeding. and I think I immediately start thinking about menopause, right where where there's a lot of irregularities in the menstrual cycle as it begins to change and transform in general. Any type of excessive uterine bleeding, it can stop. That's those tannins, that styptic property as well. So um, it also is really known to be helpful for easing transitions of menopause and reducing hot flashes. Again, it's this cooling herb. And I would even think of it to help reduce hot flashes. I would think of, you know, even having like a, sp- a spray of a strong infusion water-based infusion of the plant of the leaves and the flowers. Um, and then maybe taking the tincture on a regular basis or drinking the infusion weekly, having the spray available, and then a little bit of tincture every day is if it were me, that's how I will try to work with it when the time comes. Um, Also, really helpful in cooling the inflammation of the vagina, like vaginitis. It could be helpful, probably both topically and internally. Um, Not recommended necessarily during pregnancy um, because, you know, it's an amenagogue, but it's also thought to be beneficial for toning and tightening um, the uterus and the general, you know, the birthing canal, um, after pregnancy. So I would even think of it in a sitz bath could be really nice. Or again, as an infusion, um, a sitz bath is actually like a really strong insu- infusion that you sit in to help heal that tissue. Really helpful for women who have experienced a hysterectomy, uh, miscarriage, abortion, a stillbirth, You know, very soothing and nourishing and tonifying and cooling and restoring to the tissue. And then also for breast health. So women who tend to have lumpy breasts or sore breasts or just to help to improve breast tone after nursing. um, This is an herb that could be explored and worked with. And then also taken after childbirth to reduce the risk of prolapse, or maybe even if you're dealing with prolapse in general, this could be an herb to ally yourself with in all manners of working with the plant. So not only is it known to ease menstrual cramps, but during birth, it's known to help with the birthing contractions. And um, so where if you have menstrual cramps, it might you know, kind of tone those down. During birthing, it might help to kind of ease the cramp, the really intense cramping pain, but it's not going to like shut down the birthing process, I would say. Although quite honestly, when I was giving birth, I was, you're just in it. You know, you're not thinking about, oh man, I need an herb to calm these cramps. You're just like getting through it. But that was just for um, a, non-pro- a non-difficult birth, so I would think with difficult births, it's nice to have some tools in your toolbox. Now, because this herb has some bitter constituents to it, it can increase appetite, it can support digestive function in as a whole, and can also support liver function. Um, it's known to have been a treatment in diabetes, and then also um, edema or like excess water retention. So looking further into that, if those are issues that you're dealing with. And then it can help to reduce inflammation in the digestive system and the reproductive system. Another lovely benefit and a benefit that I see in a lot of the rose family plants is it's a heart tonic. So for different heart ailments, it can help to strengthen the heart. It can fortify weak blood arteries and also to help relieve hardening of the arteries. And Then also as a vulnerary and working with the blood in this way, it can reduce both internal and external bruising. And interestingly enough, Lady's mantle was one of the most popular wound healing herbs in the battlefields of the 15th and 16th centuries. It was really known to stop bleeding and heal wounds similar to yarrow, but it doesn't have that anti-infective property that yarrow has because yarrow has you know large amounts of volatile oils which are really antimicrobial and ladies mantle not so much but definitely has the astringent abilities and the styptic or the blood stopping abilities so again As a sitz bath, it could be really helpful for folks who have hemorrhoids or are dealing with anal fissures, which can be so uncomfortable, and it can also be common after having given birth. Aside from that, if you have inflamed or infected eyes, then a poultice on top of the eyes or a compress on top of the eyes, you know, with the eyelids closed, obviously, um, can be really helpful in relieving those and just toning the tissue around the eyes so those are a nice variety of ways to think about working with this plant so generally an astringent generally an herb that really supports women who are you know having a hard time with their menstruation who are looking to get pregnant who are just recovering from giving birth um and who are entering into menopause and going through menopause. So the herb, if you're working with it yourself, which if you really want to work with with this herb, it probably would be good to be working with it yourself. You might already have it in your garden. Your friend might have it in a garden. You might find it in a community garden. The whole plant is harvestable. So I think that the prime time to harvest this plant Is going to has already passed, but it would be in probably like late June, early July when it's in full bloom and the leaves are all looking beautiful and vibrant and green. And you could harvest the flowers and the leaves at that time. However, this time of year is not too late, like, there is get it it is coming into its like last little bit of a little you might see some blooming this time of year as its last fall bloom flash and it does have another second round of leaves that are that are there. It actually this is a plant that the leaves pretty much will stay even under the snow year round like there's kind of always like a little base of leaves that stay. Um, so you don't want to cut all the leaves right down to the ground. You want to leave some because it seems to like that for the winter. But you could certainly easily make a small tincture right now with some of the fall leaves, not the ones that are browning, but obviously the ones that are kind of lower to the ground and are green and the any flowers that you might see as an internal tincture and then next summer you know plan it that you're going to have lots of plants growing in your gardens as a nice border plant and come July you can really do a nice heavy harvest of the leaves and flowers and you can dry those for infusions and teas and then um, it'll regrow it will definitely like regrow a second round of leaves and maybe even flowers for you. I wonder, usually, so I was just thinking this, usually when we harvest leaves and flowers for making remedies and for drying, we harvest them like kind of in the heat of the day when they're dry, and maybe if they have volatile oils that there will be the most quantity of volatile oils in the heat of the day. But I wonder for making like a really special ladies' mantle tincture, if you were to harvest it in the morning when it is covered with these beautiful magical water droplets that are from the inside of the plant. I think that that would be really lovely, especially if you were going to make a tincture that was going to be used as a facial astringent, a face toner or, you know, a tonic tincture. I wouldn't do it if I was going to be drying the leaves for tea, but if I was going to be making some sort of tincture, I think Or a tea infusion with the fresh leaves. That it would be really beautiful to also harvest those beautiful droplets of water along with it, and probably like make your tank, you know, bring your bottle and bring your hundred proof vodka and your jar right out to the lady's mantle and just you know harvest it into the jar, chop it up in the jar, and then pour the hundred proof vodka over it. I think I might have to do that this fall before the, this is a really nice time. This is because the air is so cool at night and there tends to be a lot of humidity and we're getting more rain, especially in Maine where I live, where you can really see a lot of that, um, that lady's mantle do on those leaves. Okay. I guess the root, you can make a fresh root tincture, um, with the root, it's a very powerful styptic. If you harvest it in the spring or the fall, very, par- which means it's a very um, powerful blood stopper. Very astringent. Which we see that a lot with these rose family plants. The roots, like you know, blackberry, raspberry, the roots are super, super astringent, and could also be really beneficial if you have like really serious diarrhea or gastroenteritis. But I think usually the root is not used, but it could be if this is a serious problem or if you want to make like a really strong medicine that you'd probably use in small amounts. So different ways to prepare the herb. Um, I just talked about making a tincture with the leaves, flowers and stems and when to harvest it. Um, a tea could be infused, or you could even simmer the leaves a little bit. You could even work with the flowers uh, to make beautiful dried wreaths if you wanted, or you know they can dry nicely to put in flower bouquets. We were talking about the sitz bath that you will sit in if you have hemorrhoids or anal fissures or if you're recovering from uh, vaginal birth. Um, it's also been used as a suppositories or as a poultice. Mouthwash, if you have ulcers or cold sores, Um, probably even if you had bleeding in your gums, would be really nice. Or, you know, you just needed to tighten the gum tissue around your teeth, and you could infuse it in honey as a wound healer, or you could infuse it as in oil as a topical healer. You could make a salve with it, and. I did look in my uh, contraindication book, The Botanical Safety Handbook, American Herbal Products Association, which is a really great go-to. It's a huge encyclopedia. and I looked up Alchemia and contraindication. it's very, very boring uh, entry here. It's contraindications, none known. Other precautions, none known. Drug and supplement interactions, none known. Adverse events and side effects, none known. Pharmacological considerations, none known. Pregnancy and lactation, no information on the safety of ladies' mantle in pregnancy or lactation was identified in the scientifical or traditional literature. Although this review did not identify any concerns for use while pregnant or nursing, safety has not been inclusively established. And drug and supplement interactions, no clinical trials have been done, case reports of drug and supplement interactions, no case reports have been identified, no animal trials have been done. You know, it's basically, there's no information of it having caused any problems at all, ever. No information on the safety of ladies' mantle during pregnancy or lactation has been identified. So generally a safe herb. Um, I think we would know if it had caused miscarriages by now because it is so commonly worked with with women's issues. But um, any time an herb is in a menagogue, generally the, the standard line is to avoid with pregnancy. So, and then I just, I do have a ladies' Mantle tincture here that I made. I actually made, it says ladies Mantle Flower and Leaf in 100 Proof Vodka. And I made this tincture July 12th of 2014. Oh my gosh. So this is like eight years old and it is strained and in a amber Boston Round bottle. So I just opened it. I haven't, I don't even know if I've ever ever used this tincture, but again, I feel like I want to start working with it. So I'm going to put it somewhere where I see it, where maybe in my kitchen, where every evening I can just take a little sip of it. And it smells, it smells pretty mild, pretty standard. Um, You know, I can smell the vodka, but I'm going to take a little taste of it. And let you know. Ooh, that's actually that's actually really lovely. It has it does have like a little bit of volatile oil to it. You can tell it's like slightly sweet, slightly floral. It's actually pretty pleasant. Um, slightly bitter, slightly tannic. Like you know, my tongue feels a little dry. It actually, tastes really good like um yeah kind of trying to place it I almost want to say it like it reminds me of my grandmother's perfume almost but like not that not that intense but it's like like pretty pretty nice even though it didn't really have a smell to it it's like on the on the tongue it has that kind of perfumey flavor to it I guess Oh, so I hope that that inspires you to go out and play with some ladies' mantle, or at least to plant some in your garden. You could probably find some on sale this time of year as well if you live in Maine. You could plant it right now, so it'll be there for you next year. And I also wanted to just give you an update on my beet kvass that I, I was talking a little bit about last week on the pod and that I so it's still going. It's on my counter. I haven't stopped the fermentation. It's kind of slow going. I don't know if it's that our house is kind of cool this time of year. But I took a sip of it a few days ago, you know, well after a week, of you know, it's almost it's been a week and a half that it's been starting, you know, doing its thing. And it was super salty. I only put a teaspoon of salt in it, but it was like, whew, I was like, okay, this is not enjoyable. I'm just going to let it keep going here. And now it's, I took another sip of it yesterday and it's, the salt is toning down. It's starting to get a little bubbly and it really has that like earthy kind of root flavor of the beet, not so much the sweet flavor of the beet. So that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm still not loving it, but I'm going to let it keep fermenting and we'll see what happens. I think I need to do a little bit more looking into how people enjoy it. Like, do you just drink it plain? Um, do you mix it with some bubbly water? Do you, I don't know. I'm curious if you are into beet kvass and if you've been making it shoot me an email or a message on Instagram, and let me know what I should be doing here. Tips. I'm looking for beat Kavass tips. And then I'll share, continue to share my journey, <laughs> my kvass journey with you. Uh, so, hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would you know, give me some stars uh, uh, as a rating, or even if you were willing to take a second and review the podcast, I'd be so grateful. Be curious to know what you think about it. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook or my website, all with the tag Soledago Herb School, and say hi. Let me know you're listening. I'd love to hear from you. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.